Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and aesthetically pleasing PCBs. We're your host, electrical engineers, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 355. So we're back into uh, two separate states. Like yep, yep. Finally, finally back in Colorado. Yeah. Um, so how was your... your holiday rest of your holiday it was it was great uh it was it was relaxing it's it's kind of nice i mean we're 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 coming to texas every year now for thanksgiving that's sort of our plan that we're doing and uh uh, it's just it's nice to have a chunk of time where it's like okay we get a little bit of relaxing even though like i i traditionally have done work from uh from away it's it's nice to go visit texas and eat all the amazing food that's down there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you you even like what what do you call it like smuggled <laughs> that's a that's a good way of putting it yeah well uh, so so my wife and i every year we do a special christmas dinner of some sort and it's usually something vastly different than we normally do like we'll do i don't know some weird duck or something like that and and this christmas we're wanting to do a brisket dish uh which I don't do brisket very often up here and in Colorado brisket sort of doesn't exist. I mean, I'm not trying to offend anyone. It does exist, but it's harder to get and the quality is not the same as, or, or it's, it's not as easy to get the, the same quality as in Texas. So I bought a really, really nice Wagyu brisket down in Texas and drove it all the way up here so we can have our special <laughs> Christmas dinner. <laughs> I really want to know how, good the wagyu brisket turns out uh, i want i want to i want to make sure or i want to see is it worth the money that i paid for it because yeah. I'll, I'll just be entirely honest i bought a packer's cut which is the full brisket the point and the flat and it was 102 dollars, which is not a cheap brisket like by no. any means but uh how many pounds but, is that oh it was just shy of 13 so it was 7.99 a pound so it's not it's a very expensive brisket yeah because i think uh, a normal brisket here in texas is usually around two dollars and ten cents a pound yeah 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 but but i mean this one is it's they had it in the in the case next to regular briskets and so you can a b them you know right there it is visible how much more marbling is in a wagyu oh it's it's yeah it's quite it's quite different and you know for a special christmas dinner uh also 13 pounds of meat for two people in a house is a is a big so we'll be eating on that for a week or two you know yeah yeah i mean it cooks down but still going to end up with like 10 pounds of a brisket at the end well with how much fat is on this brisket i'm i'm assuming the initial trim that's on it i'm probably gonna lop off two pounds three pounds of fat uh really just i don't I don't trim any fat off mine. You didn't see this brisket. It's it's oh, got yeah. a ton of fat on it. The the deckle, you know, the big, really hard fat on the back. That's it, yeah. it, it doesn't render at those temperatures that you smoke at, and it just gets gummy and nasty. And and whoever you give it to is gonna just chop it off and throw it away anyway. So I I chop it off before going in the smoker. Yeah, I always cook it with that on there and uh cut it off when I cut the brisket. Yeah, if I do it, sometimes I'll actually just like, honestly, like leave it on and let the, you know, let the person who's eating it decide if they want to eat that or not. Because sometimes like you, 
Sometimes you want a big old gooey ball of fat. <laughs> yeah yeah pack it in your lip and just suck on it <laughs> it's gross but yeah uh, okay if there's one thing i've learned in life if you want to find people who argue about the the absolute minutia of stuff just talk to someone about smoking or barbecue they will argue about every single the smallest little things yes yeah, and i mean even even what we were just talking about right there of like do you cut this off or do you not there's probably hundreds of forum threads that each one are like 40 pages long yeah. of people arguing about just that i view it as uh as long as you enjoy doing it that's all that really matters yeah yeah also just just do stuff figure it out figure yeah. out what's what's your recipe or whatnot yeah, and what then, you like about and it then, and then just do it that way from there on out yeah um yeah, just figuring out how you want to, like, it's like it's like anything that's just a like a broad topic, like a hamburger, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's so many different ways you can make a hamburger, and it's still a hamburger, but way Steven makes a hamburger is completely different from how I would make a hamburger, and they, I probably wouldn't like to eat Steven's hamburger. Oh, I'd eat your hamburgers. Okay, I'll eat your hamburger then. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I'll save the fat that I cut off a of wagyu and grind that into hamburger. I bet you that actually be really good. <laughs> that could be really good. I bet you that'd be awesome. Like if you oh, what I would do is I would take venison and then uh ground that wagyu fat into that venison and make that into burgers. Or make summer sausage out of that. Ooh, that'd be good. Uh mix it with pork fat as well. Game over. Yeah, that'd be really good. See, a all week right. in Texas, and all I talk about is food now. Right? <laughs> okay. Let's well, get, wait, let's hang get on, on, hang on. You, you, you asked me a question about how the rest of my time went. How did the how did the rest of your Thanksgiving? Because I think you finished something, right? Did you I finish something? putting something together? Oh, um, yes. Well, so I went down to Galveston with my parents. My parents are retired down there in Galveston, off, off the uh, ocean down there. And uh, we we uh, smoked a brisket, smoked some ribs, um, fried a turkey, ate way too much food, and then uh, went up to Austin for a football game, the last you know the last home game of the season for uh, uh, Texas Longhorns, and then I went camping while my dad went hunting. So there's a uh, they have a my dad has a lease. Oh, hunting lease somewhere around like Blanco, Texas. So basically went out there and camped and um, I just ate leftover brisket for like a couple days <laughs> and just hung <laughs> well, around. Okay. So so maybe I was maybe I was wrong. I thought you finished your transmission or finished. Oh, uh, and I came back it. and then finished that. Oh, okay. That's what I was talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I came back to Houston and then um Finished up a uh, my three speed train. I don't know if I've talked much about that on the podcast though, um, but I'm uh, currently rebuilding a uh, 1965 Checker Marathon, and this is actually the test platform for the GP Jeep Fan Thingy PDM, uh, the power distribution module project that we're going to talk about later in this podcast. Um, what I'm kind of the test platform, so to speak, for it. Um, 
So the uh, the transmission, I had it all apart, and it took me probably about six weeks, I think, to fully rebuild it. And most of that time, though, it was just sitting in my garage, just in a bazillion pieces. Well, and you were electroplating lots of stuff, and yeah, I was so. pl- replating parts. Um, the main thing I was waiting for parts, though. Uh, there was a couple of broken parts that were in the transmission that I had to, like uh, that I had to replace. And of course, you can't go down to AutoZone and buy parts for a 1965 three-speed transmission anymore. Uh, so you have to call up a couple specialty, you know, shops around uh, the states and hopefully find one who's got some like old stock lying around and uh did i managed to get all the parts get them on order and it took you know a couple weeks for them to show up but got it all back together and then um most of the assembly went pretty well like you would think it would you know there's a lot of parts in it now i'll oppose the pictures i guess um but really well drawn oh no we did talk about this a little bit last the exploded diagrams right right we talked about this last week yeah um it went back together with all the exploded diagrams and then um, put it all back together and everything seems to function correctly. And it um, transmits power. Yeah, it transmits power all the way through. Um, and then I gave it some coats of paint and now it's good to go. Nice. That was your first transmission to fully tear down and redo, right? Correct. Yeah. I've done some transmission work on cars, but never like all the way apart and all the way back together. And no hiccups. So hopefully. We don't know until <laughs> well, you we don't start know putting yet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, don't know yet until we start putting like you know, some torque into it. Besides like my hands trying to spin it. Well, and that's a little ways down the road. Yeah, that could be like two years down the road and we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, I walked I walked by the checker uh when uh, last week when I visited Parker I walked by in in, in his driveway and uh let's just put it this way just the state of the checker as it currently stands it's probably not getting torque into the uh, transmission anytime soon cuz it is the the whole engine cavity is empty so it's going to yeah. take a little bit of time Yeah the the next step is um well there's a lot of next steps but one of the next big hurdles is to get the engine to run and I actually ordered um, the it's a it's a it's a straight six two nine two so two nine two is the displacement in, in cubic inches uh, out of like a 1980 something truck Chevy truck um, and it used to run with like a distrib- a points distributor and a carburetor well it doesn't have those anymore um, I have a whole brand new uh, engine control like computer for it. A mega, it's called a Mega Squirt. So I have a Mega Squirt for it, and I'm doing electronic fuel injection with computer controlled ignition and all that stuff. Because um, I've never done that like all that before, so I'm going to do it on this project. And uh, getting that to run is the next big hurdle. I got most like. The great thing was on like it was uh, earlier this week was Cyber Monday for all the great deals and all the the uh, the place that sells or one of the places that sells those uh, computers, the uh, computer uh, motor controllers had like a big sale. So I was like, OK, time to buy them. 
Yeah, nuke your wallet for the month. Ugh, I'm eating ramen right now. <laughs> and ketchup packets. <laughs> Go over to McDonald's and get condiments for free. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. Yeah, so that's the next step on on that is get that engine to run. So, I guess once I get the engine to run, I could technically bolt the transmission to it. But then Just I make can't sure really... the end spins. <laughs> well, no, I can spin the input shaft and the output shaft spins. Right. It it shifts. The problem is it's got fresh bearings and fresh uh, synchros, and when you have all that's fresh, it's a bit tight. Hmm. Um. And there's like only two like tolerances you can actually measure when you put this thing together. And they're they're within spec. So and I fingers and I, crossed, I guess. Yeah, fingers crossed. And I did make sure like everything is in the right spot, like in the order, and there's no missing parts. You d- you're just trusting engineering from eighty years ago. Yeah, and a a a work instructions from eighty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be fine. Man, that's going to be awful if I put it all back together and like the first shift, it just nukes the transmission and throws it all over the ground. Crunch. And I'd be like, that was six weeks of work. Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a good bit of money. Yeah. I, well, I didn't put, I have to put a lot of money into the transmission. It was only about a hundred bucks. If, if you, if you, nuke a transmission and have to buy a new one for that. Oh, and that's why a new one. bit of money. That's what I'm talking yes. about. Yeah. It was about a hundred dollars of like seals and and all the rebuild keys. I, I couldn't buy just one rebuild kit. I had to buy like four. Of course. None of them no one sells a nineteen sixty five checker marathon three speed transmission like rebuild comprehensive. kit. Comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to like go, oh this one's got this one from this car and then Oh, now the overdrive, I can oh, I can get that kit from a nineteen fifty-eight Ford. I can get that rebuild kit. And you just have to piece it together. Like one kit I just used one seal out of, and it was like twenty bucks. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty pricey, actually. Yeah, twenty dollar gasket. Ugh. Yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> all right let's move on to this first topic let's get actually into engineering right yeah f- 15 minutes in so uh okay so we, we've got some end of 2022 engineering questions yeah these, these came from an interview that you were a part of right from in the past yeah when was that interview um i, I had an interview with year- all about circuits ages ago i think i was at the fab when that happened I think you're right. Because I remember you went off and, and just closed the door in one of the meeting rooms. and uh, This is June kind of 12, thing. 2018. Four uh, years ago. Over four years ago. That Okay, so that was just after I left. Yeah, I, I think of um, what you're thinking of is I had an interview with Chris Gamble. Chris Gamble, that's right. And I don't even know if that's on YouTube, though. Maybe not. I'm gonna check right now. What was that all about? Uh, was was he interviewing you through uh, his podcast or for his podcast? Um, DFM case studies. Oh, That's right. so um, 
oh, I had a haircut in that interview. <laughs> I'm like looking at my hair. I'm like, oh, it's actually cut. Um, that was when Chris Gamble was working with Supply Frame. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I think he was looking for engineers. Like he was like the doing marketing and uh, um, influencing stuff for Supply Frame. I mm. Probably did a lot more than that, but um, he uh, he probably did that for them. Yeah, because it's even the old Macrofab logo. Um, yeah, that, that was, was that was when I locked myself into like a a conference room for about two hours doing that. No, this was uh, they sent me like a whole email list of questions, and um. I just had to write, type them out and stuff. So it was not bad. But um, our marketing team basically said, hey, Parker, this interview is great, but are there any updates? Because this was four years, over four years ago at this point. So yeah, let's and, revisit uh, some of the questions. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the first question is, uh, what trends in the past few years have changed PCBAs the most in the last few years, <laughs> that question. Yeah, was so since, oddly. so I think like since this uh, article, what has changed? So I'm actually looking in here, um, and let's see, where is that question? Main problems. Do, 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 do. This is great. Top, great content. Mm, okay, yeah. here we go. Uh, so when I did this interview. I said the largest trend I've seen is the push to component manufacturers to SMT only parts, and recently the push to BGA ball grid array, QFN, and DFN. Uh, and I said this is likely due to smartphone manufacturers being the largest part of consumer electronics markets. Um, and then another trend we were seeing at the time was using pre certified FCC modules at, for Wi Fi, Bluetooth connectivity uh, for IoT. Hmm. And I would say over the last four and a half years since then, that was definitely the case. Um, but what is now the trend that we are seeing? You know, I think that this has been a continual trend, but I, 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 I honestly believe that seeing prices change in, in with PCBAs, I believe that they just continue to get cheaper. Uh, which might not seem to be the case with uh, with the way the economy and everything is going, but but over, uh, gosh, over the last decade, I've seen nothing but a drop in price of PCBAs. As and if we're saying the last few years since you've done this podcast, so that was what, or uh, sorry, interview that was six years ago, something like that. Absolutely, I think the cost of PCBAs continues to drop. Mm-hmm. Um. I would say there has been this trend um, where companies were were moving towards SMT, right? Like QFNs and stuff, but there were like standardized packages like QFN 16. We're starting to, I, at least I see uh, a lot more like honestly custom or weird packages that have weird layouts underneath them. They're still surface mounts, but they're just weird layouts. And who brought this up in our Slack channel? But um, 
it was with in regards to uh, GAN um, Fets, right? Go look the uh, wait, well, this was just recently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, GAN Fets, um, which have really weird footprints. And, um, and basically they they have footprints that are, um, to allow better performance of the components. So instead of having like, I'm going to assume that they don't have a lot of like gold, uh, wire leads inside the package. It's more like connected straight to the die. So you have better performance, like better. Uh, you it's, have less it, parasitics. On a, the the the, the dies on a frame and then gets encapsulated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I bet you what we're seeing is more of that. So you get less inductance and less parasitic. Well, parasitic inductance, less parasitic capacitance. We're probably going to see more of that. Like more of these. I think there's a there's a Twitter, uh, Twitter. Uh, Thread. hand oh yeah twitter handle i guess it's it's like it's oh. called cursed footprints <laughs> that channel or that that uh handle is going to get a lot more content going forward hmm. so more more customized things yeah in other words. yeah i mean we'll still have like qfns and stuff like that but the more we more that's we push like speed and and low noise and that kind of stuff the more we're going to get those weird packages because of that reason. Just to get rid of the parasitics of the gold wire that's inside, you know, honestly acting like a little tiny antenna in there. Well, I think in that same vein, we're going to see more system on chips, Uh, more integration into smaller packages and more integration of different technologies into the same package. Yeah, Yeah. Like Octavo systems that we talked to long, long ago. Oh, uh, system in yeah, system in package is what they called it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said I said something else. System system on package. Yeah, yeah. In, in, not on. S I P S O P. Same thing. Yeah, S I P. Um, another trend I'm seeing. I guess it's definitely even more recent too. I guess within the last. I mean, it's always been a thing, but definitely within the last five years excuse me is pcbs becoming more of a structural part of the overall product that was always like a mechanical item yeah as a mechanical item like the maker community's always done that in some regard um but and i'm not even talking about like using this like a faceplate i'm like actual part of like the chassis or enclosure is held together with the PCB itself. And I don't know if that's because like people or like maybe PCBs are being are more robust now. I don't know if that's the case or not. But like when you're physically like using the board as part of your product as, as a chassis part, like you induce flex into that part. Um hmm. So I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I definitely am seeing, seeing it a lot more, though. Well, I, I think that 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 goes to exactly what I was saying earlier, where I've seen a trend where things are 
inexpensive. They, it, it, the, the price keeps dropping. And in your one design package, your EDA tool, you can use that to generate the electronics, but also mechanical items. And generally, PCBs have fairly good uh, overall tolerances. So you can use them as a mechanical item without having to make a drawing, send it to a job shop, get quotes and things. You can just get it all from the same place. So I think there is an, uh, something attractive about using mm-hmm. FR4 in you know certain applications as a mechanical oh, item. Yeah, but if that piece of FR4 was just as a mechanical item, yeah. I'm talking about like the actual PCBA is starting to be a load bearing member of like your product. <laughs> yeah, mm, that doesn't sound like a good yeah. move. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that yeah. turns out. Yeah, Metacolin in chat is, is saying rip ceramic capacitors on those load bearing boards. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but I am seeing not even just through what I see through our customers, but like other projects and products I see out there. Hmm. Um, it's also like similar to when like a couple of years ago, like 3D printed parts are starting to become like on consumer items. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just start. You don't necessarily you're not told that it's a 3D printed part. You just no. get it. Just interesting. All right. So uh, the next question uh, was, what do you think will be the next big thing, big in quotes, that will change the way EEs design PCBs? Yeah. This one's interesting because a couple years ago, I answered this as like rigid flex changed how we build compact consumer devices. Um so something like that, uh, and we also saw like advances in MOSFET technology, like you know GAN and that kind of stuff that basically increased power density through the roof. Like now you can do like 200 watts, a 200 watt power supply, and the size of like a padlock. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not a very good analogy for a size though, because I actually just looked on my desk and I have three different size padlocks. <laughs> Half the size of your palm, I guess, or palm sized. I was trying to come up with like a way, like how many football fields is it? How many football fields is what a padlock? Yeah, or like one of these uh, power supplies. Anyways, you know how like you like you be watching TV and they're like, oh, the Empire State Building is five football fields tall. It's like who came up with football fields as a unit of measure? Also, who came up with elephants as a unit of weight uh, measurement? Like, they'll always be like, the Earth is equivalent to, like, 16 quadrillion elephants. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like, even like, it's some stupid number two of elephants. And it's like, that doesn't put it in any perspective at all. Yeah, right, right. It's not like you know what an elephant weighs. Yeah. Or like, it's not like you can, like, even the weight of an elephant is is already too much for you to... Yeah. To grasp. Comprehend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's probably like, it's probably like a thousandth of a football field. Uh, a hundred yards, right? Yeah. 
And so a thousandth of a hundred yards is a tenth of a yard. It's smaller than that then. It's smaller than that then. Oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, we, we actually, I gotta, I gotta mention this. We did have a very long conversation. This was a handful of weeks ago about the tolerance of football fields and, uh, and like the marking on football fields. And and I think this was a pregame for a podcast. It was 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 definitely before the show. It was before the show. And we did like an hour of research on, you know, what is the tolerance of a football field? And there is nothing about it. No, like if you look up like official NFL rules, they just say it's a hundred yards, and I'm like, plus minus what? what like, yeah. and are you measuring to the center of the line? Because I think I think the paint on the field is four inches uh, wide. They don't have it. There's no spec for the line width either. I think I, I I thought I saw somewhere that it was average four inch wide, but but I could be wrong. I know yeah. just in the rule book though. I don't think it actually oh, spec right. what the line width was. And and we're, and we're sitting here because it's football is the game of inches, right? Yeah, game of inches. Like, but you have to have it defined. Yeah, <laughs> this this is what we talk about in the pregame before the podcast. <laughs> before the podcast, could you could you imagine like the announcer is like, it's it's third and one plus or minus half. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. Oh man! So, I, I I remember being upset about that whole topic because we couldn't figure out this answer. Yeah, and and like whoever, uh, there's obviously people who know it, and and they may not know it as in like it's like written down somewhere, but they know that like when they're it's painting tribal the field, knowledge, you got to do it this way. Yeah, it could just be that. Um, or like, it, I I bet you actually what it is is um, it's up to the ref, the head ref, to make sure that the like they have to check it off. Like at the beginning, they come in and go like, "Yep, the field is to spec." <laughs> <laughs> and so that actually just might be what it is. So like they probably don't even like even if they measure it, they probably go, "Okay, it's close enough." Like, yeah, have probably. you looked at um, a soccer fields or football, football. with a U in it? <laughs> um, Those like, fields are, uh, they vary though. Yeah, that's the whole thing is they vary a lot. And we, it, that was actually one thing we went to too. So we looked that up is how much they vary. They vary quite a bit actually. Um, and, and, and not just like between professional and youth or anything like that. Like professional football fields vary quite a bit like the in in size and that just seems to be acceptable it, yeah. it's it's sort of like baseball fields where the outfield uh is a little bit different uh field to the field. infield is kind of like it's not even set in stone but it's like this is the general layout but yeah, yeah anything past that is like do whatever you want right 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 yeah and so there are some football fields out there where that where the players just know, like, I'm going to have to run a bit more because this field is just bigger. <laughs> just bigger. It's that pl- but, plus minus half there. But I mean, we even got into the weeds with like the chain gang and like how what is the tolerance on checking oh, the chain? Yeah, the oh, chain. Oh, that was right. That's one thing we want. Okay. I'd love it if someone could because you can just buy those chains. 
I want someone to buy those, buy like a couple of those chains from different manufacturers and see if they are different lengths. Right. Because if it's a game of inches and you're only accurate to an inch, it, you know. Also, yep. at the same time, like <laughs> when they go to measure the things, the guys literally walk onto the field and just plop them down. Yeah, plop them down. Wherever the ref says, plop them down. Yeah. And, and I, what would be interesting is what if your pitch between yards doesn't match up with the chain length either? Hmm. Hmm. Because you're going to throw a loop for the, you know, the people on the TV that are going to draw that yellow line in for the first down marker. Like, what if it's not in the right spot? Ooh. You know, there's so much technology, <laughs> like, that they draw on the screen where everything is and, and whatnot. Like, there's so much technology behind something where it's like, how do we not know this? Yeah. I think it's it's probably like... The, it's not as big of a deal as we're making. It. It's not as big of a deal. <laughs> and it's up to the ref to. It's up to ref. I think I actually think because I know I was looking up a rule about like noise, like artificial noise that the stadium can use. Like, let's say they're playing something on the big screen, the Jumbotron, right? Yeah. Like, when do they have to stop that? Um, and there's rules about that. And like, the, it's up to the refs to make sure the stadium is in line. Not just really? like the players and like the other teams are in line, but also the stadium in line is in line. It's up to the refs. That's interesting. So I, did, I didn't know the refs were in charge of the environment. I thought they were just in charge of the game. Yeah, they're in charge. Well, but the it, environment is part of the game. Well, sure, sure, sure. I, I, I suppose that actually probably makes sense. Maybe before every game, they get a, they get a measuring stick out and go down the field. Yeah. Because I know the footballs are, they're in like each team gets its own fo- set of footballs, and mm-hmm. they can set them to a certain tolerance of pressure. Right, they get to choose. Yeah, they get to choose the pressure w- within, well, within within a range. Reason, yeah, 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 within reason. I, there was a whole. Didn't you find like an entire website where someone did a huge study? Oh, about on, like, on the inflation gate and stuff. Yeah. I can't remember what that whole thing was about though. But that was definitely like some like deep internet like <laughs> website from that looks like it's from 2001. Yeah, solid colors and just walls of text. Geospace. Yep, 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 yep. We were probably the first visitors that showed up on his site in like 5 years, minimal. <laughs> I got a hit finally. <laughs> maybe oh, there's an I, maybe there's an IPC like certificate like IPC document that we have to pay for. Then we know we can build this field correctly. Mm, yeah, they keep the tolerance behind a paywall. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and there's a government agency that you have to get it certified. The you have NFL? to bring your football field to an anechoic chamber and have them <laughs> blast it. no that's they make sure your your field goal posts are tuned right (laughs) yeah what what is the resonant frequency of a of a field goal post i mean it's a giant tuning fork sticking out of the ground right apparently it is low enough to where someone swinging on it can make it fall over yeah (laughs) 
All right, we should, uh, are, are, are we done answering that? Or did we? Uh, no. What's question? the next big thing? What do you think is going to be the next? I actually, I, I rephrase this question to sing because it was like, what do you? I think it was like, what do you? Uh, what is the next big thing? I want to rephrase that as like, where do you think? Like, come up with something right now, or that is like, what would be the next big thing? Oh, uh, well, okay. So this already exists to some degree, but I think the next big thing will be integrated components into boards uh, where you're actually printing components on your board. So they're physically part of it. So like printing like what, like carbon traces or not sure, not entirely sure how it gets executed, but if you could print your, uh, your passives, if they're just integrated as part of the PCB itself. Okay. I can see the resistors being done that way. Well, certain values resistors um, where you can, you, you can like mix a different compound mm -hmm. very similar to how like it's the same compound they use in like the resistor itself, that, that paste slurry that they put on the SMT resistors. Um, yeah, that could be, you could just ex extrude that out over or like stencil it out. Really? That'd be a lot of stencils. To do it I that think way. PCBs eventually start to look like their IC counterparts that go down on the board though. Yeah. So this just seems like a lot of tooling. I guess if you have the volume though, right? Because screen printing is so much faster than anything else. If if your traces that interconnect things themselves are the passives, then you no longer have the passives on your board, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty sure. far off if you ask me, though. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the logistics on like how you'd manufacture that quickly. It, yeah, it would be it would be tough. Yeah. Um for me it would be oh. I guess this kind of exists already too. Um is uh maybe like super capacitors that are like you can solder right on, on this already exists though, but uh, a breakthrough in terms of uh, super capacitor um, capacity density, uh, especially in regards to like getting rid of, let's say, small lithium batteries. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe getting not quite the the density of lithium batteries, but getting kind of like let's say half of that, right? Because we already like let's say your phone, right? You already plug your phone in every day after work. What if you just plugged it in twice a day? Just an idea. What if you just buy your phone and it has all the charge for its entire lifespan? Well, you pay a subscription for that charge. <laughs> I could see that. Big. Your, your battery only charges to 80%. And if you want to unlock the, the remaining 20%, it's a yeah. subscription fee. Subscription fee. Oh God, I could see that actually happening. 
So I I, I was actually just Lewis Rossman is freaking just like ah! Ah! yeah. <laughs> Don't give him uh, ideas. <laughs> so I I just randomly found a PDF file online. I'll I'll post the um uh the link up. The uh, but embedded embedded passive components on internal layers is apparently already a thing, and they're they're uh, what are they calling it? Three D stack. I know that's a thing. Three uh, D packaging is what they're calling it. Yeah, for um, like, super dense stuff. Yeah, we've played around with at Macrofab like embedding RFID chips or NFC chips on like the edge of boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and those work okay. It just ends up being like not as good as just like a, a normal barcode, <laughs> right? But but embedding passives down in internal yeah, layers, down into it, like you're milling little pockets for everything to go into. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying that, to think of like that's expensive. In the next four years, what is something that we will be doing that we don't do now? I know what it's going to be. We're not going to be using PCBs as structural parts of our our products. <laughs> uh, Steven, you, you, you posted your local link. Oh, geez. Why did I do that? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm dumb. So we, now we know what Steven's computer is called. Yeah. It's called yeah Steven. Go figure. <laughs> That's funny. Well, navigate navigate to my computer and you can you can view this PDF file. Time to hack. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um so we've got about 16 minutes left of this podcast. Let's skip this second topic cuz it's yep. looks pretty bulky. Yeah. We'll switch to the uh the the uh PDM/Jeep prop Thing, which still doesn't have a name yet. Maybe we should call it PDM, but it's a different acronym. I like that. Because just to confuse people. Do it. Like the PDM PDM. PDM <laughs> squared. What's the other PDM start, start for? Parker Dillman's master power distribution module. There you go. The PDM. I don't PDM. like my name being in it, though, because it's an open source project. <laughs> Ax that. So we got some uh, some listener questions about the PDM. Yes. Um, so the first question is, oh, let's who who was it? Matthew? Matthew sent in an email uh, with some questions about it. Um, the first one is: During the project, do you plan on hosting it so it's accessible somewhere like GitHub? Yes, hundred um, percent. It's going to be on GitHub. Um, when we start doing basically the schematic, it'll start going. Actually, I probably should start ahead uh, and just start doing like like a general bomb first, right? So we at least have that revision history of like what we change on the build materials. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it will be open source. It'll be an open project on GitHub. Um, all that good stuff. Um and we're going to have a place to be able to discuss it as well. Probably won't be Slack, though. 
I don't know if that's a spoiler alert or not, though. But um, probably won't be Slack. And uh, yeah, it's going to be on GitHub. We'll be able to. We'll try to leverage as much as we can in GitHub because like GitHub has like a Wikipedia page too. Um, and you know, it has the issue tracker and stuff. I think about you know the Wikipedia part would be the good place to put like ideas about the build materials. Like here's the connector we're going to use and that kind of stuff. Feature the, sets. Yeah, the cold hard facts about the project will be cold, on GitHub. Facts. Yeah, like yeah. if you want to get the actual files, that'll be GitHub. There will yes. be somewhere else for discussing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, somewhere else to discuss it. The um, so I brought up the connector, and it's actually not in in this list. But uh, Matthew asked about it. Is um, he's it actually some people in our Slack channel were commenting about the connector we chose, and they're like that connect like connectors like that connector. No one's ever used this particular one before, though. But people were like connectors like that are difficult to use. Well, I'll find out when I get him and see how good or bad it is. Yeah, as of last week, he said you had ordered some. Have they come in yet? Not yet. Nah. Uh, they actually shipped today. Oh, okay. Hopefully next time on the podcast, I'll have them. Um, but yeah, the uh, people say that that style is difficult to use. Um, honestly. It, it, it difficult in what way? Just, I just say it's difficult to use. Let me see if Matthew actually expanded on on that. I mean, it's a big chunky connector that requires, you know, you have to have your enclosure be. Yeah, matching, certain. Basically. So, so yeah. diff- difficult as in like, yeah, sure. You have to just wrangle everything and make it custom to work for that. I don't. I don't don't know exactly how. OK, difficult as in like, you're not going to just take your hand drill and make a hole for it like yeah correct to do something yeah more. i think i think um it just it's like any kind of engineering project though. there's there's constraints on the connector itself mm-hmm. it's probably a better you, way to you put it. you you found a connector and you're designing a pdm around it i mean yeah pretty much um so on the connector is why plan for peak currents on a constant current rating of the pins? Good question, because it's not peak current. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are electric fans that, that people use in automotive that pull 30 amps continuous. So they actually peak above that. Um, It's actually, uh, I I actually take that back. There's 20, at least from, I have two, types of fans that I have here. I have some DC brushed fans and then I have some DC brushless fans. The brushed fans peak at like when you start them up, they pull like 40 something amps. Um, and then they ramp quickly down to like 25 at steady state, full load. Um, the brushless ones on the other hand will pull 30 at all the it will pull 30, but they have a soft start. And so they don't peak above 30. They just ramp to 30, which are, that's much nicer on your electronics to do it that way. Um, but you have to plan for the DC because that's the, the, uh, the brush motors. Cause that's what most people use. Mm. Um, there's only two manufacturers out there that make a brushless 
electric fan um, for automotive. Um, a company called Delta PAG, and then the other one is SPAL. S-P-A-O, SPAL. That sounds correct. And even then, the SPAL fans, like, I can't even get. Like, I tried ordering some, and I couldn't get any. So, um, yeah, the brushed fans are, like, they peak at, like, 40. Like, if you put a 30-amp fuse, it'll blow the 30-amp fuse, even though the, they're spec to 25. How long so, is that initial impulse? Um, long enough to blow a fuse. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know exactly how long it is. Sure. Um, so that's that's why is our constant current on those on the high amperage pins needs to be high. Yeah. Um, what are the plans for customer connect connections? Well, how the industry for I say the industry how uh, aftermarket electronics work in automotive is it's pigtail. So you offer just a pigtail off the end of your connector. Now, um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to off you when you get let's say you got the whole kit and caboodle one with the fancy connector. It's waterproof and everything. You will just get the shell and all the terminals plus extra terminals, of course. And then you just build your own harness on it. I'm not going to do the pigtail thing because that's way too much work on my end. That's even right. at the point where if I even sell them. But at the same time, you're providing these to people who are DIY minded. Yes. They're going to be able to do it themselves. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is customizable. So that's sort of yeah. the whole point. We're, we're, we're not selling. The, this product is not designed to be sold to um people who don't know anything about electronics, like some PD, like they, they should be buying a PDM from like Haltech or Holly or any of these other uh, big aftermarket companies that have tons of support and they come and they have like stuff that just plugs and plays with other things, other devices on the market. No, this is going to be like, this is like a power user that is like, is a, uh, someone who wants to like, getting deep on the hardware and software of their PDM. I, I, you know, there's, there's two aspects about this project that really, really, really focuses the user group. One, it's an electronic box where you are dealing with the electronics themselves, uh, like the actual guts of the thing. And two, you have to know and like coding to use this project. Yeah. Those two things alone kill basically all of the the people who would be interested in this and leaves the, the super users. Yeah. And that's all I, that's I'm what you're designing for, for. Yeah. I'm building this product for me Yeah, and then just making it open source. So one other people who want to work on it and want to use it can use it, but this is not a, this is not des designed to be a, a replacement for any of the other PDMs on the market at all. Right, right. And I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying this is designed for the Parker Dillmans of the world. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it should be called the Parker Dillman Master Power Distribution Module. I think it I think it works. I don't like that name at all. I don't like putting my name on it, so <laughs> I do like using PDM squared or two PDM. But we'll come up with something else what PDM stands for. Um, so, uh, with 
that before we wrap up this podcast um the star wars christmas special will be december 13th um we've already got uh roz back from uh from last year um I'm actually going to ask him right now. Chris Kraft, are you available on December 13th? He's in our, our Twitch chat right now. Um, and I was talking to Hyron. From and let me see what he said. Yeah, two weeks from now. I think Chiron is available. Awesome. So, so that'd be awesome to get everyone back. Um, on that, I've been, because I've been, uh, I need to watch Obi Wan series, and I need to watch um, Andor. Andor, and so I am. One episode away from finishing Obi-Wan. So I'll probably finish it tonight. Um, so far, but there's not any interesting tech that's new that in, in, in Obi-Wan. Um, that's regardless if it's a good or bad show. I have different opinions about that. But there's no new tech. So... Maybe the last episode will surprise me, but I'm actually kind of like disappointed in that regard. Like so far, there's always been like something new, like in the universe that they will show off that they design mm. and just it hasn't happened in Obi-Wan yet. So yeah. I, I've only seen the first three episodes of Andor and uh, I started watching it partially because I wanted to see it, but also in preparation for the episode and uh, after the first three, I'm like, there's not something tech that I can talk about yet. You know, I, there may be, but it's good so far. I'm I'm happy with it. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, like <laughs> I'm like, oh, we got to come up with something. Yeah. I mean, we can always pull from other stuff. So. Yeah, we, we had we had mentioned in the past opening it up to be g greater than Star Wars and just talking about yeah. sci fi tech. Yeah, actually, Craftlab, did you hear my question? Yeah, are you available on the 13th? <laughs> I like this alive <laughs> asking. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, Craftlab will get back to us and uh, we'll figure that out. But yeah, December 13th will be the Star Wars special, so tune in for that. And with that... because yeah, we're going to do it live. We always do On the live. 13th. Yeah. So it'll come out, it will come out that Friday. Right. Yeah. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack.